you take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's toward the end of your New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is uh, one of the verses that the Antonians read this morning in the lighting of the Advent candle. The joy, the, the, the candle of joy um, was, was mentioned in their reading this morning. I want us to look at that passage a little bit more carefully this morning as we think about the light of joy um, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brought into the world and continues to provide for the world um, through uh, his great work. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. 1 Peter 1, 3. And remember, um, this is a letter that was written by one of Jesus' closest associates and friends, uh, the Apostle Peter. And here's what he had to say uh, to the church of the first century and what God has to say to us this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he's not talking about Joseph. Joseph was his father um, in logistical ways, but not biologically. Jesus is the Son of God, and here Peter introduces him as such. In his great mercy, speaking of Jesus, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now I, get, I have to take a breath. That was a long sentence. A lot of great, great material in that sentence. Verse six, in this, this salvation that he just spoke of, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy to the world. That is not just a song. That is not just an expression. That is the truth that joy has come to the world. An inexpressible and glorious joy. Now this is not just an ordinary happiness that he's speaking about here. This is more than, the, than the, the fun and excitement and joy that you're going to um, receive in a few days around the Christmas tree, opening those gifts. Oh, that's going to be great. But what he's talking about here is far more than that. When, when the best word that you have to describe something is inexpressible, It's hard to describe. It's hard to describe how great this joy is. 
And this joy that he's talking about here that comes because of what Jesus did for us in coming into this world in this humble way that he did. That's why we have this, this manger up here to remind us. You know, this, um, I was explaining this week to, to one of my granddaughters. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't got the word, <laughs> Fernanda Rapp is expecting. <laughs> too, too, too early to tell yet whether it's another granddaughter or grandson, but praise God. But I was explaining to one of my granddaughters this week what an incubator is. Our son, William, lived in an incubator for six weeks. This, this was Jesus' incubation right here. Some straw and, and some cloths that, that he's wrapped in to warm him up. He came into this world in a, in a very humble, very difficult way, but he came to bring us a joy that we can't even describe. It's a glorious joy, but we can't even describe it. It's inexpressible. And Peter explains it. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That, that's what Jesus came to bring us. The salvation of our souls. That's what we're supposed to be thinking about at Christmas. Even when we're thinking about his birth, we're also thinking about his life his perfect life, remember, his life had to be perfect. It followed right along with how he was born. Remember the announcement that Gabriel made face to face with Mary. Remember the, the announcement that an angel made in a dream to Joseph. You're going to have a baby, Mary, and Joseph's not going to be the daddy. Joseph, you can take Mary home to be with your wife, to be, to be your wife, even though the baby that she's carrying is not yours. It's the Lord. This is the Son of God. Born in that way, born of a virgin. That's how Mary stayed a virgin and still gave birth. And it was so important that Jesus wasn't born into sin like we are, with a sin nature. He's the Son of God. And as the Son of God, it was imperative for him not only to be born in this way, but also to live in this way, to live his life without sin. And we think of this at Christmas when we think of him being virgin-born. That got him started so that he could continue his life without sin, without the sin nature that we are all plagued with. But he knew that's what we were plagued with, and he continued his life perfectly ending it on the cross. Perfect, so that when he went to the cross, he was able to take upon himself all of our sins. For God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew that about us. He went to the cross anyway, died for us, and then on the third day, the first day of the week, Sunday, he rose again from the dead, which is why we're here this morning. To celebrate, even during Christmas time, to celebrate the resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Rising again from the dead 
showing himself to be the son of God that he said he was, that the word of God says he was, that the prophets said he was, showing himself to be the son of God through his resurrection from the dead and then ascended to the right hand of the father in the heavenlies to send to all who believe in him the precious, wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, God himself living in all who believe. All of that comes to us through Jesus, the Son of God. And so when he came, in the special way that he came, he came to bring joy. And Peter's explanation of joy, of this inexpressible joy, is so rich because it reminds us that the joy that we have is not based on our circumstances. The people that he was um, writing this to, which remember includes us, were experiencing grief through trials of various kinds. Does that sound familiar? Oh, it's not something that we just read about. It's something that we experience. But even though we experience grief through trials of various kinds, we still have a joy that is inexplicable and glorious. Because our joy is not based on our circumstances. Sometimes it's really easy to be joyful. Sometimes it's, it just goes right along with everything that's happening in our lives. But most of the time, there's at least one thing that's not quite right or way off or a variety of things that are way off. And we don't have any circumstantial reason for joy until we remember the ultimate circumstance that we are receiving, as Peter says here, that we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That we are living in the light of the promise that God has made to us, that when we believe in Jesus, the Son of God, we are going to be saved. We are going to be forgiven of our sins and we're gonna be given life forever in his glory. He wants us to think about that. He wants us to think about that during Christmas so that we will have this joy that he came to bring. This joy that overcomes all of our difficulties. When David was, re was praying this morning before the message, he asked that the Lord would, would help us be more like Jesus. That this service, that this, that this time in God's word together would help each of us become more like Jesus. Do you want to become like Jesus? Be joyful. Look with me at John 15, verse 11. In, the, in the, the, the last night of Jesus' life before the, the cross, he met with his disciples in the upper room. And one of the things that he talked a lot about that night, we're not gonna look at all of it, but one of the things he talked a lot about that night was joy. Look at uh, verse 11 of chapter 15, in this um, last supper that he was having with his apostles. He's telling them, he's telling them to, to, be, to love each other. And he says this, I have told you this 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus has joy. Joy that he wants to give us so that our joy will not just be, again, that circumstantial joy that happens occasionally when, when everything lines up right and, and things are going our way. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to live life with that kind of joy being the only joy that we experience. He, he doesn't want us to, he doesn't want our joy to revolve around whether our team won or not. Or whether we got the grade that we were shooting for. Or whether we got the raise that we were hoping for and that we had worked so hard for. Or whether we get offered that, that new position that we, would, we, that we would be a perfect fit for. He doesn't want our joy to depend on that. Oh, when those things come, we have joy. But he doesn't want it to depend on that. He wants us to have complete joy. His kind of joy. He describes it like this, in, in, again, in the same, the same time together, back in, in chapter 17 of John. Look at 17, 13. This is Jesus' prayer that night with his disciples. Look what he says in verse 13. Jesus to the, to the Father, I am coming to you now. You see, he was about to die on the cross. His ascension wasn't, wasn't going to be far off. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they, speaking of his apostles and his disciples, including us, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. How much? The full measure of my joy within them. How much? The full measure of my joy within them. He wants us to be filled with joy. Not sometimes, but all the time. Because we keep remembering what he's promised and what he's done. And then we also recognize that he has a, a source of it. He, he has an amount of it that's, that's full in measure that he wants to give to us. No matter what's going on, that we look back to what he did for us. We look to the promises he's made to us, and we recognize that no matter else what's what, what else is going on, we can still have joy because of what he's done. We still have a reason to sing. We still have a reason to praise him because of what he's done. Look at the way he describes it. Also in this same, in this same time with his disciples in verse 16, just before he, he prayed that prayer that we were looking at. Now, I can't relate to this completely because in this particular account, he's talking about pregnancy, all right? Look what he says. Verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. He's About a little while, he says they're gonna see him again. They're, they're confused. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. 
A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. The joy of Jesus is often delayed. The circumstances that, that, that are going to bring the ultimate joy to us are often delayed. And he uses the example of a, of a woman giving birth. And again, any, any woman who's given birth would tell us that in trying to describe it, we're in, we, we can't really do it. Any description is inadequate because of the intensity of the experience, both of pain and joy, excitement, anticipation. But here Jesus reminds us that even though a, a person, a woman goes through tremendous pain and suffering to bring that child in the world, they're still glad when it's over, not just because it's over, but because there's now a new baby in this world and that baby belongs to her and to him, to them as a family. There's a delay in the circumstances that bring the joy, but knowing what's coming helps the, the, the expectant mother, helps the mother in delivery, in labor, get through it. Look at how Jesus, how, how, it's, how the writer of the Hebrews describes it in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Again, this is the joy of Jesus that we're talking about that he's giving to us. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what we're doing right now. We're fixing our eyes on him. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Or if ever there was a day not to be joyful, it's the day that the Son of God was being killed for our sins. And it says that he got through that experience, that terrible, awful experience. And again, we can't even begin to understand how terrible and awful that was. Because we can't begin to understand how glorious he is how holy he is, how wonderful he is. And the very people that, made, that, he, that he made, that he gave life to, that he gave breath to, were using those lives, were using that breath that he was giving them to kill him. 
to torture him, to abuse him. Remember, it was shame. what was happening to him was shameful, and he was able to scorn that shame, overcome that shame for the joy that was set before him. That joy, the source of that joy was something that was going to happen in the future. He was still going through worse than the grief caused by many t- types of trials that the, the Christians that Peter was writing to were, were going through. He was going through worse than that, but he was hanging on to the joy that was set before him. The, the circumstances weren't lining up yet for him to have circumstantial joy, but he knew what was coming, and so he still experienced joy thinking about what the results of his death on that cross were going to be. He knew why he was doing it. He knew everybody in this room needed him to do what he was doing. He knew that everybody in this room needed him to go to that cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could live our lives for his glory and spend eternity in his presence bringing glory to his name. He knew the only way that was going to happen was if he went on and did what he had to do going to that cross. And so I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it, for the joy that was set before him. He wasn't experiencing the circumstances that were going to produce that joy yet, but he knew it was coming because he knew that he was going to be faithful to all of his promises and that what he had promised to do on that cross, he was going to do, and it was going to accomplish the plans and purposes that he had for that moment. And people like us were going to receive him, we're going to believe in him, and we were going to be made the children of God. So we were going to be forgiven of our sins and we're going to spend eternity with him. And he saw that and he said, I'm going to keep doing this. Remember, physically, he didn't have to go through what he went through. He could have gotten out of that situation just like that. He reminded us of that, remember, in his arrest. We're not going to turn to it right now. But remember back in John 19 in the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers came to arrest him and Judas led the the group up and kissed him. Do you remember what happened? He said, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. When he said, I am, boom, boom. They all fell back on their backs. All these soldiers, all these big, strong guys, boom, on their backs. Just a reminder, nobody's taking my life. I'm laying it down. You strong, you know, he-men soldiers, you're you're not taking me anywhere. I'm going with you. He did this. He didn't have to. He could have gotten out of there right then or any time during the proceedings. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, every bit of it. Scorning it shame, not letting the fact that it was such a shameful event where the creator of this world was hanging naked, bloody and beaten, a shameful moment in all human accounts, but he was scorning that shame. He was doing it anyway for the joy that was set before him. 
we need to set joy before us as well. We need to see the joy that he has set before us. And we need to let it motivate us. In the worst of moments, remember, there isn't a worse time in the history of of the world than this moment. And how he got through it, he's saying, fix your eyes on me and you'll get through whatever you're going through. You take my joy, you set it before you, and you remember it as you're walking through the dark days. As you're walking through the long, hard days and nights with whatever it is, whatever that, that grief caused by various kinds of trials that, that Peter was talking about. Oh, it's never going to get to the, to the level of Jesus walking down the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering with that cross. It's never going to get that bad. It's going to feel like it. But no, no matter how bad it gets, remember how Jesus handled it. Remember what Jesus did. He had joy set before him. He had the results of what he was going to do and what it was going to accomplish for people like us set before him. He had in his mind the reunion that he was going to have in, in, in the heavenlies as the Godhead would be back together like it was from eternity past. He had all that in his mind. The joy was set before him so that he could do what he had to do. And we have that same valuable resource from him to get through what we need to get through. So that we can have joy even in the worst of our moments. And it's not a pretend. You know, it's not just, it's, it's not a, a denial of what we're dealing with, of what we're going through. Jesus wasn't denying what he was going through. He wasn't denying the pain. He wasn't denying the shame of what he was dealing with. He, but he was looking past it. He was looking in the, in the middle of experiencing it. He was looking past it to what was going to be accomplished through the work that he was doing. And so Peter, back to what he said to us. Speaking of the trials that they were facing, he said in verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, the, the gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be, this is your faith now, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The, the stuff that the, the first century believers was going through, the stuff that we're going through, the grief that we're suffering through many and various trials, none of that's going to be wasted. He's going to use all of it. Do you remember the promise that the Apostle Paul made in Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for good? for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. For, though he for, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. None of the, none of the, the difficulties that we're, that we're experiencing and that we'll experience and have experienced are going to be wasted. He's going to use all of it somehow to grow us, to make us more like Jesus. And some are saying, I don't know if it's worth it. Well, I want to tell you something. 
even if you conclude it's not worth it, that's not going to make this world a, a, a great place to live. It's not going to free you from, from the difficulties and the sufferings. At least in Christ, at least by believing in Jesus and being a part of his body, being one of his children, the difficulties that we face in this world, this fallen, sinful world, are at least used for something. As we think about what those things are used for, we can have joy like he had joy in the midst of it. Looking forward, not only to when it's over, but looking forward to what's being produced by it. And he says to look to him for that strength because he did it for us. He did it before us and he will help us through it, whatever it is however long it takes, and however many experiences of it. I mean, the way that Peter describes this, he, he said, you have griefs of many kinds because of the, of the various trials they're experiencing. It, it, it's not like you just have to deal with one thing. Sometimes it's many things, and sometimes it's a series of things. And we're ready to, you know, use the athletic expression, we're, we're ready to throw in the towel. We're, we're ready to give up but we fix our eyes on Jesus and we realize we don't have to. All the way back in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, and this is the final, final verse that we're gonna look at this morning. Look back at Nehemiah and I'll give you a second. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10. Nehemiah had returned to Israel to rebuild, to lead the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem had been, had been destroyed. And there were surrounding, um, surrounding groups of people that didn't want that wall being rebuilt. There were times, if, if you can imagine this, that the people that were working on the wall had a tool in one hand to help with the mortar and a sword in the other hand because there were guys coming at them. Not, not, the, not the easiest working conditions. A trial, a struggle. And some of them were dying in the process. Well, verse 10, Nehemiah announces a, a festival in the midst of this. A celebration, even before the wall was finished. Verse 10 says, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he said, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because the joy of Jesus is your strength. Like he did it, you do it. Like he did it, we do it. 
And, and when we're tempted because of our circumstances to give up, he reminds us, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Look to what he has done for us. Remember how Peter described it? Because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Think about that. When, when everything else is, is working against you and you can't go anymore, remember the joy of the Lord and that that joy, the fact that he is going to do what he promised, that he's going to forgive you of your sins, that he's going to give you eternal life in his glory, he will give you the strength that you need to get through whatever it is that you have to get through right now. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It comes from him. He possesses it. He wants it to be complete in us. And in, and in saying that, he wasn't saying, and I'm, I'm just going to make it smooth sailing for you all the way through. Remember, remember these apostles that he was speaking to when he said he wants their joy to be complete. His joy in them and for it to be complete. Remember what, what their lives were going to be like. Remember the, remember the things that they were going to go through. Remember what he said to Peter, the writer of this statement. Remember what he said to Peter just before his ascension out by the lake? In John 21, he said, Peter, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted to go. But there's coming a day when somebody else is going to dress you and take you where you do not want to go. And then John, the writer of that story, tells us what, what Jesus was talking about. He said, by saying this, he indicated the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Do you hear that? The kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter's the one who wrote this encouragement to us to have this inexplicable, inexpressible, and glorious joy. Peter knew, Peter knew what was going to happen to him. Peter knew what the end of his life was going to be like. He, he lived with that realization all of his life from the moment that Jesus said that. But it didn't stop him. He, he, he fixed his eyes on Jesus and said, if Jesus could go through that like that with the joy set before him, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find my strength in the joy of the Lord. Like Nehemiah said, he did like Isaiah said, was going to happen. That's what I'm going to do. That's, that's what Peter said. And he gives it to us to experience this light of joy that we saw lighted today, that that light can burn in us regardless of our circumstances because we are receiving the goal of our faith the salvation of our souls. So that salvation of our souls, that 
goal of our faith, that begins at the point in time that we recognize our need for a Savior. When we recognize that, that our sin is too great for us to overcome it, and that we need a Savior. We need somebody who can forgive us and that Jesus Christ is the only one because as, as we discussed earlier, he's the only one who came into this world sinless and didn't sin throughout his entire life so that when he went to the cross, he was able to take all of our sins upon him. When we believe that and believe that he did it for us, he gives us the salvation of our souls. And that salvation is the source of the joy that will get us through everything that we need to endure, everything that we encounter. He will get us through it on the basis of that salvation. So if you don't have him yet, if you haven't received him yet, I would encourage you, receive him. He will, he will give you the goal of your faith in him to be saved to be forgiven of your sins, to be given the gift of eternal life. He'll give you that. He'll promise you that. He'll guarantee that for you. So don't let anything hold you back. Don't let whatever your family circumstances might be, whatever your religious circumstances might be, don't let anything hold you back from believing in Jesus. Put your trust in him and then let him take you through as he himself endured it and, 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 and conquered it himself. Let him take you through whatever it is that you need to conquer, whatever it is you need to get through, because he will give you his strength, which is his joy, and he'll make it complete. He won't give you just a little bit. He'll give you what you need, but first you receive him. You believe in his name, and he will give you the right to become a child of God. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, This complete joy of Jesus that's inexpressible and glorious is so important for us and sometimes it's so far away from us. Help us to remember what you did for us. Not just when we're going through the, the difficulties, not just when we're grieving, but even when we're going through the difficulties, even when we're grieving because of the trials that we're facing. Help us to find our strength, to find our endurance in your joy. You know those of us right now that are going through things that we haven't told anybody about. It's too hard. It's too dark. It's too painful. You know all about those things, Father. And we thank you that you're going to take us through, that you're going to deliver us from them in some way. And then in the process, you're going to grow us. And that you're going to use us to glorify your great name in spite of the difficulties and trials that we're facing. Help us to see the joy 
that's set before us, just like Jesus did. And to realize that none of this pain and none of this sorrow is going to be wasted. That you'll use it all to help us grow in you. Seeing our our salvation, seeing our faith demonstrated and proved genuine by these difficulties. Help us not to get sidetracked by our desire to always feel good and to always create environments that make us feel good all the time. Help us to realize that that doesn't accomplish anything. Help us to follow you every step of the way of this life with your joy, the joy of your salvation being our strength. And Father, for those who don't know you yet, they, they may want a message that says that as soon as they receive Jesus, all their troubles are going to be gone. Help them to realize, Father, that by receiving Jesus, all their troubles will be gone. But in your time. And that ultimately, they also will receive the goal of their faith, the salvation of their soul. Help them to put these important matters first so that they can also join with those of us who have already put our trust in Jesus in a life, a life together, a life with family, a life as an individual, lived out for your glory.